began teaching on uh, some things that have been stirring in my heart with regards to the church. And I mentioned to you that uh, for these next few weeks, uh, culminating next Sunday, I just wanted to uh, visit on some themes that didn't fit neatly into a sermon series. Uh, They probably could have been related one to another because it is talking about the church. But I just felt like here in the middle of the summer, it would be a good time uh, just to rekindle our passion, to remember why we're here, what we're about, what God's idea of the church was all about. And uh, just by way of commercial, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about vision. And um, I'm going to tell you that, that a church's vision or a people's vision is intricately linked with your personal destiny and vision. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that the things that God has for you as an individual are attached to things that he does as a, in us as a people. Now, you may say, I don't know if I think that's fair or right. Or I, if, if you want to know more about that, please be here next Sunday. I believe next Sunday we're going to rekindle passion. We're going to rekindle some vision. We're going to rekindle the fire. And, and I just believe it's going to be an over-the-top day because we're learning some things that are very, very important and we're beginning to walk in them. And how many of you realize that as you begin to walk in things and you get some momentum in some things, that, that God can move big time. And so next Sunday, I think, is going to be just a powerful, uh, impactful day. And I just encourage you uh, to make sure you're here next Sunday. Last week, as you'll recall, we talked about atmosphere. We're not going to catch you up on atmosphere. You can get you a CD or you can go to our website and hit the media link and go to iTunes and you can listen to it there. But the message on atmosphere that we shared with you last week is really going to set the context for what it is that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, I have a book on my shelf that I picked up probably around the year 2000, 2001. So it's been almost a decade now. Uh, I read it years ago. Hadn't looked at it in quite some time, but I pulled it off my shelf. And I began looking through it again, and it was called, the title of it, The Gate Church. The Gate Church. And I began to read it again. And as I read through this book by Frank DiMazio, uh, it just really began to stir in me some powerful, um, dramatic, impactful things that, that I had forgotten. I just, I'll just fess up. I had forgotten about the nature of the church. You, you know, isn't it interesting that a lot of times you'll even come to church, you'll hear a message, and you've heard that theme or message maybe before, but it stirs you under remembrance? And th- isn't that important? Because it's like you know it. I mean, you'd say, I know that. But it's almost like you had forgotten it because it hadn't been stirred under remembrance. And so there were some things that had just been stirred under remembrance, even more powerfully here in 2009. And I remember uh, as I was reading it, how that was the first time the Lord began to speak to me about a specific passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 28 and if you have your Bibles you can go ahead and begin to find everyone ought to be able to find the book of Genesis Genesis is book one chapter 28 I'm going to be reading from that that portion of scripture here in just a moment but God began to speak to me out of a a specific passage in this chapter and uh, it made such an impact 
that I mentioned to Trace, and then she connected with Mary Hoffman, who is kind of like our resident artist, you know, and we got her to paint that big picture of a gate out there in the foyer. I mean, you have seen the gate, have you not? And Mary, a number of years ago now, I mean, I think Tracy and Mary drove all through Charleston looking at gates in order to get this prophetic vision of, of the gate of heaven. And uh, Mary was able to paint that gate and uh, across the top it was lettered uh, Genesis, what, 28, um, 17, about how that gate was the house of God. And so it rekindled and reminded me all those original things that the church is designed in some ways to be a portal for the gate of the kingdom of God and the resources of heaven. But the thing that is, is elusive to us, the thing that's been elusive to me, and uh, it's, it's what oftentimes we ignore, but it's so very important, is that opening that gate is a lot more difficult than you might imagine. Now, I understand once you get understanding, it can be easy. But when you're fumbling around trying to figure things out, sometimes that can seem awfully hard. And, and I use the term elusive because I want you to know it is not impossible. I believe that the gate of heaven can be opened. I know it can be because the scripture tells me it can be. And as we begin to talk about these things, I just want you to begin to get a renewed vision for corporate gathering. I want you to get a renewed vision for what it is that we do together as a body. I have purposed in my heart to build a house for the Lord. Now, I'm not referring to a structure. I'm not referring to a building. We have a picture of a building out there that one day we're believing God will enable us to construct as his house. But I'm not talking about the house of the Lord by way of a a building. I'm talking about a people. You understand you and I as people are the house of the Lord. The scripture says that he dwells not in temples made with human hands. So, so he's building a house and I purposed in my heart to, to participate with God in building of the house. And, and it will not be built according to my plan. And it will not be built according to my ambition or even, even my preferences. And I have some plans and ambition and preferences. I'm just like any other human being. It won't be built according to your plan either or your ambitions or your preferences, but his. Psalm 127 verse 1 says that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And I know sometimes through the years, it probably is true for most, if not all of you, it's true for others as well, that when you think of church, you think of something that is boring or predictable, maybe even non-relevant. In fact, the current era that you and I live in, we are finding churches doing whatever they can and anything they can to reach out and try to get people back to church through whatever means they can use to solicit their interest. And I want you to know that's not necessarily wrong. After all, if we're fishers of men, and those of you that are fishermen, if we are fishers of men, then you can relate to this. We need some bait. Amen. <laughs> you're going to go catch fish, you need some bait. If you're going to catch people, bait can be handy as well. But the question I always think about is, what will they find when you catch them? What will they find 
when they come to the house of the Lord. You see, I believe people really are looking for God. They're not looking for me. They're not looking for the band. They're not looking for the program. They're looking for a place that God is at. A place that you can sense life. That you can hear truth. A place, I believe, that's energetic. A place that, that the glory that the glory exists and dwells in, so there is life change and there is transformation. And where when you come, you can encounter the presence of God in a real and tangible way. But in order for those things to happen, something has to take place. And that's why I'm calling what I want to share for a few moments this morning, unlocking the gate. We have to understand that that God's presence more than anything, wants to be amongst us, but we have to unlock the gate. So, if you're there in Genesis chapter 28, I want to read to you several verses here. And um, we're going to begin uh, with verse number 10. Genesis 28, I'm going to begin with verse 10. Guys, I apologize if I put verse 1 on there. We're going to start with verse 10. And uh, how many of you brought your Bibles? Do you have it there? It's always good to bring your Bible. And guys, the monitors are really hot up here on the platform. I appreciate you giving me monitor, but we need to move back just a little bit. Genesis 28 and 10. Listen to this. It says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed. Tracy mentioned how God can speak to us in dreams. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there were angels of God were ascending and descending on it. You remember the Jacob's Ladder song when you were in Sunday school? That's where it came from. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you. Literally, the word means protect you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. I'm going to come back to that in just a few moments. He called it Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going... And give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. 
And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Unlocking the gate. I believe here in Genesis chapter 28 that the passages that I've just read to you are what I call prophetic glimpses. They're like these little video pieces that God gives us in the old covenant to show us what he ultimately has in mind when he conceived of having his church. Now, of all the unlikely people that you would think would get a vision from God, it was Jacob, Jacob, who received a vision of what the house of the Lord was going to be all about. Jacob said, how awesome is this place? I mean, literally, God gave him this vision, this dream, and it blew him away. But Jacob, in this vision, begins to define the house of the Lord for us. For This is what he said. He said, the Lord is in this place. It's awesome. Have you ever heard your teenagers say awesome? They think it's something new. That's about 4,500 years old. This place is awesome. This is the house of God. He says, this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob saw what happens when the gate is unlocked. When the gate is unlocked, something begins to take place. And you and I need to understand not only what takes place, but how in the world are we to get this thing unlocked? Jacob began to see that that the house of the Lord was a portal. You know what a portal is? A, a portal is, 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 I always think of it in like this circular term. A portal is, is like this tunnel. It's, a, it's a, like a hallway. The, the house of God is this conduit, this, this portal for the presence of God to begin to move in and through. And I want to say again what I said last Sunday. Yes, you can experience God all by your lonesome. You can go drive your car all by your lonesome. You can take a shower by your lonesome. You can, you can go off into the desert by your lonesome. You can just live in your own house all by your lonesome. And will God come visit you there? The answer is yes, he could and can. And I have heard stories that he does. He has visited me when I've been all by myself. Even Jacob proved that to a degree that God will come to you as an individual. But listen to me again. And if you don't get it, get last week's message. There's something unique God can do when we come together. There's something distinguishably different that can take place when God's people gather. And when we gather, we become the house of the Lord. Now... Before we just answer the question of, of how does this portal or how does this gate open, I just want to talk to you and I guess solicit, solicit your interest because I want to talk to you about some of the attributes that you can prophetically see leaping from these pages that tell us a little bit about the house of God. In fact, I believe, again, that these are, are, are futuristic pictures. These are prophetic pictures of what God's plan for His church really is. I've often said that the Old Testament is critical. I've met people through the years that have looked at me and said the Old Covenant isn't that important. And that is not true. The reason I know it's not true is because Jesus quoted the Old Covenant. Paul quoted the Old Covenant. There were some Old Covenant things that are very, very important for us to understand. In fact, the Old Covenant at times fills in the blanks of what we think the New Testament isn't, you know, 
necessarily addressing or talking about. In fact, uh, this is just a teaching moment. This will help you in understanding your Bible. Um, people through the years have erroneous concepts. A lot of people, you know, they've looked at me and they've, they've, they've said, well, you know, the Bible, the Bible doesn't say anything about church structure. The Bible in the New Testament doesn't say anything about structure. It doesn't say anything about government. It doesn't say anything about leadership. It doesn't say anything about worship. You know, nowhere in the New Testament does it say how we are to worship God. So a lot of people just assume because it doesn't say anything, then that means it's up to our own preference. Because it doesn't say anything in the New Testament. But the point is that when we move from an old covenant to a new covenant, we didn't switch gods. Are you following me? In other words, Jesus was God incarnate. And he was the incarnation of the God that we read about of 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 Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He incarnates himself, enfleshes himself, and he begins to demonstrate to us who God is and, and, and what he's all about in a more tangible way. And so we didn't switch gods at the cross. And so just giving you an example, if we worship God under an old covenant by the raising of hands, because the Bible says in the Old Testament that we're to lift our hands to the Lord. The Bible says in the Old Testament that we're to clap our hands. The Bible says in the Old Testament, there are several words for, for dance, but one of, you know, one's just a bounce and some are spin. And, and I realize you see these kinds of things in church and people go, whoa, weird dude, what's this? I don't, I don't see that in the New Testament. It is true. You don't because they understood. Remember, these believers were Jewish as they become Christian. They understood they weren't switching gods. So they understood that if they were dancing around, you know, the Holy of Holies, and if they were dancing around the tabernacle, and if, if they were worshiping God like they do at the temple and, and the tabernacle, that when they danced their way into the new covenant, that no longer, no longer were they worshiping the sacrifices of bulls and goats, but they were worshiping the lamb sacrificed once and for all, whose name was Jesus. See, are you following me? I've often said it this way, the cross changes only what the cross was designed to change. The reason we don't sacrifice animals anymore is because the cross changed that. Are you with me? But the reason the cross doesn't change how we worship is because the cross didn't change that. We still worship God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. How much more even under a new covenant? And so my point being is, as we go to the old covenant, we can begin to see maybe, maybe spelled out even a little more clearly how it is that the house of the Lord is supposed to operate. You see, you get to the New Testament and there were lots of things those believers already knew because they were so immersed in God's word so they understood a lot of things as the Holy Spirit was beginning to work in their life and unveil things in their life. And unfortunately, we've reached an era where everybody has their opinion on what church should be about. Everybody has their idea of what church should be doing. You know, church maybe should be doing benevolent things. That's their viewpoint. Maybe the church should be just marrying and burying. You know, maybe the church, you know, it should be 
should be, uh, you know, just sort of helping people keep their moral compass in the right direction. Everybody has their viewpoint on what the purpose of the church is, but wouldn't it be good to know what God's purpose for his church was? And instead of yanking God into our agenda, maybe we should start stepping into his. Let me give you just some attributes, and I can't, again, spend a lot of time here. They're in no particular order. These are just some things that I've seen come out of these particular passages. Number one, I believe the church, this is some of the unique features of what the church is all about in its attributes. Number one, it is a place of access to the spiritual realm. You see, when we gather here today, today, you may be at a very natural place in your life. You may be looking at this worship service and you heard the contemporary music. You watched people, you know, get excited. You're kind of perhaps evaluating everything that's happening today. And you're at a very natural level and that's understandable. But you need to understand or get this perception that as we gather here today, we are accessing another realm. As I'm even teaching and instructing you right now, there is another realm that's beginning to splash over into this realm. You see, Jacob accessed another realm. When he accessed this realm, he accessed it through his dream life, no doubt. But he saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder. Do you understand that this morning, right now, as the church, there's angelic happenings going on even as I speak? Now you can walk away and say, that's weird. I'll look at you and say, that's the church. Maybe we ought to be just a tad more weird. I'm not here to try to make this rational to the world. I'm a mystery to the world. But that's what we're about because we're accessing the spirit realm. The church, the the body of believers, the house of the Lord is the only gathering. It is the only organization that has the ability, listen, to access the spirit realm. Do you understand that right now there may be trillions of dollars that Washington, D.C. and the Congress and the White House get to hold their hands on, but the White House and the Congress cannot access the spirit realm. They can access only those things that are limited. Now, trillions a lot, I'll grant you. But that's still limited. We can access the unlimited. We can access a realm as believers that no other place can access. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's church. That's church. Number two, church is a place, I believe it's a place of promise. God declared promise to Jacob. He declares destiny over Jacob. Isn't that interesting? And you know, Jacob, I'm going to come back to this, I think, but, but Jacob's name, if you ever go to an encounter, we, we teach a lot on Jacob. And uh, Jacob's name was deceiver or usurper. That's what Jacob means. Now that I said that, everybody will no longer name their children Jacob anymore. I just... Because you know in the Hebrew mentality, what you name a child is really a declaration over their life. You know, Jacob, how would you like this? My, I just here, this is my little deceiver. You know, Isaiah's son's name was, it's the longest name in the Bible. Mahershala Hashbaz. How, 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 how is he going to spell that name in kindergarten, I ask you? How? 
Can you just see the teacher reading that going, Mahayaha? We're just going to call you M, all right? We'll just, Mahershala Hashbaz. You know what that means? It means quick to terrorize. How would you like that coming to your class? You get Mahershala Hashbaz this year. So names are very important. We're going to get back to that. But, but, but God, it's, it's, this is the most amazing thing to me. He declares promise over Jacob. And, and Jacob eventually gets a name change, you know, to Israel. His name eventually gets changed to Prince of Nations. But what's interesting is that God declares promise to a, to a Jacob. Can I share this with you? Don't be offended at me until you hear the whole statement. The church is filled with Jacobs. But here's the good news. God doesn't see Jacob in you. He sees Israel in you. And he declares promise to you. It is a place. It is a place where where the dysfunctional can come and hear the promise of God. What life could be like. What destiny could be like if they were to get things right with God. Isn't that good news that you can come to the house of God and hear that life doesn't have to be like you got it. It's a place of promise. Number three, kind of springing off that, it's the place of a second chance. Jacob was no prize. What he did to his brother and father, and I'm not going to tell you the story you come to encounter, and we'll tell you the whole story. But what he did to his family was manipulative. It was out of bounds. But even the worst among us can hear the good news, and this is good news, that he is the God of a second chance. And the third chance. And the fourth chance. We are about redemption in the church. We're not about perfection. Don't understand. Biblical perfection means wholeness. W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. And yes, we are about wholeness. But we are about pursuing God. We are about a journey. We're about turnarounds. We're about new chapters in people's lives. We're about fresh starts. Yes, are there times... That we disappoint God? Sure there are. Are there expectations in the kingdom of God? Yes, there are. Should we be keeping our eyes on Him and keeping our lives disciplined and not stumbling, bumbling around in sin all the time so we're always presuming on the grace and the blood of God? Yes, we should. But the good news is there's still a second chance. A second chance. And if you need a second chance, there's some places you can't go. They'll cut you off, but I'm telling you, in the house of God, There's a second chance. I still haven't seen a sin yet that the blood couldn't cleanse. Don't you tell me you don't know what I've done. That don't matter to me. I've yet to see a sin that was greater than the blood. The place of a second chance. Number four was a place of spiritual protection. I'm just talking about some attributes of the church. I believe the the gathering of believers brings a spiritual protection. I do believe, because the Bible teaches it clearly to me, the concept of covering. 1 Corinthians 11 and other places, we see verses that, that refer to covering or protection. I believe that there is a, a unique protection that God gives to His church. That there's an umbrella of authority that exists, that, that, that keeps us out of the crosshairs of the enemy by participating and linking and being a part of the church 
In fact, it was interesting, if you ever read some of Paul's words in the scripture where he talks about like Alexander the coppersmith who did him much harm or Hymenaeus and Alexander, these people that harmed Paul and he uses the phrase that he handed them over to Satan. I always wondered what that was all about. I always thought that was kind of severe. I handed them over to Satan. Now, there are a few I would have liked to have handed over. I just, uh, but you know, you just, you don't go there. What is, and, and for a long, long time, I said, what does that mean? And I finally understood what it meant was, is that he was releasing them from the, the covering of the church because there's a covering that comes that you don't even know. You don't even understand. You don't even get. And that when, when, when we come out from under it, all of a sudden we find ourselves in, in some very difficult, challenging places. And so I just believe the house of the God, the house of God has a spiritual protection associated with it. Number five, I believe it's a place of awe. Everyone say, wow. I mean, I've been to some places in my life and I've said, wow. I've been to amusement parks i've been to sports arenas i've been to all different kinds of things like many of you and i and i remember thinking wow wow do you understand that the church is supposed to be we you know we should be called the church of the wow the church of the wow jacob was blown away by the activity of the lord and he used the term awesome this is awesome I mean, every now and then, Trace and I will walk out and we'll get in, car, in the car and we'll go to lunch and, and, and we'll just debrief real quick, you know, after the service. And, and sometimes Trace will get in there and, and she'll get in the car and she'll shut the door and she'll go, Woo! We had church today! <laughs> I love that. Woo! We had church today! I want you to know every time I come to the house of God, we ought to have, woo, church today. Come on. I don't want business as usual. I got, I mean, I, I can't go there. I got so many things flying through my, I, I got it. Lord, help me, help me right now. Know what's anointed and what's not right now. Help me, help me. Come on. We don't want business as usual. We want awesome, don't we? Come on. And some of that's up. To us, of seizing atmospheres, expecting God, moving in faith. Whoa, we got to have church today. I don't need, I don't need a there, there. I need church today. I don't want, I don't want, I'm not setting up my week's appointments. I need church today. Oh, Lordy, that can't meet his spirits coming on me. I don't know what I'm doing. Church of the wow. And even if you spell it backwards, you still get wow. It ought to be. Sure, it ought to be a place you laugh and a place you cry and a place you get excited and a place you're built up. A place where you can shout a little bit and say yes to the Lord. Yes! Nothing wrong with that. Come on, I am tired of sports arenas and political gatherings and tea parties and I'm just, it's church time! 
church time. Not to say, wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, amen means so be it. It's almost like a period. We ought to say, wow, wow. Number six, wow, I got to go on. The house of God is a place for God's voice. Now, I'm just giving you attributes. We haven't even unlocked the gate yet. I'm just talking about it. Now, I know you can hear God's voice anytime, anyplace, anywhere. I get it. I know. I can hear God's voice all by my lonesome. I get it. But there's something when we gather together. There's a revelation that happens. There's an understanding that happens. There's an insight that happens when we're together. Come on now, if, how many of you can honestly tell me that, that, that you've learned everything you've learned all by your lonesome? I understand you've learned some things by your lonesome, but I'm telling you there are many, many things that you got revelation on because you were in the house. See? There's something about being in the house that God can speak. Think about this for just a minute. Jacob had never heard the voice of the Lord before. To our knowledge, he'd never heard the voice of the Lord before. But when he heard the voice of the Lord and all that took place, he declared it to be the house of God. Number seven, I believe that the the house of God should be an oasis. And in fact, I just switched. It's not just a place. It's an oasis of his presence. Everyone knows, should know what an oasis is. It's as if you're walking in a desert. You've seen old movies and things and everybody's dying of thirst and uh, they're looking for water. And then all of a sudden, if it's not a mirage, boy, I could, that one's writable right there. Do you know, there, you know, you can gather and it can be a mirage. But there's sometimes you can gather and you found the real deal. You better be sure if you're in a desert like this world provides that you come into a real deal house where it's not a mirage. And it can have all the bells and whistles and the you know glitzy stuff. It can have it all. But if it doesn't have God's presence, you'll still go away thirsty. There's an oasis. The house of the Lord was meant to be an oasis where you can stop and you can be refreshed. And there are those moments we all need this reprieve. It's almost as if we need four walls for just a minute to just get a reprieve from the wilderness, to get a reprieve from the pressure, to get a reprieve from the world, just to be able to call a timeout if for only two hours or something like that. Can we call a timeout? And I need refreshed. That's the house of the Lord. It isn't going to come any, you, you can go down the road and you can hit happy hour down there and it won't, it won't last you but a few hours. You come to the house of God and it'll last you your entire life. An oasis. Number eight. I believe the house of the Lord is a place of stability. Jacob memorialized. I'm just telling you, these are prophetic pictures. He memorialized the place by using stones and pillars. Stones and pillars. They are signs of stability. I'm sure you have probably used this phrase, or at least you've heard somebody use this phrase when they've looked at someone 
and they thought about their life and they called them a rock. You know, they're just a rock. Well, you know what? God's looking for some rocks and some pillars. In fact, he's looking, the Bible says, for living stones. The church is where you can find those rocks, pillars. Let me tell you, when you become the house of the Lord, when... When, when he begins to do his work in your life and you begin to embrace it and you go on this journey, and again, you're not a perfect person, but you're a pursuing person. Suddenly, you're the only functional, normal person in your neighborhood. And it came from participating in the house of the Lord. And then, and then number nine, and I, I suppose I could go on, but it's a place of the miraculous. I believe the house of the Lord is, is a birthing place for miracles and signs and wonders and healing in the hand of the Lord. I, I believe when Jacob saw that ladder with angels ascending and descending on it, I believe what he was seeing was that there was a portal of which heavenly resource is moving. And it wants to again come to the earth. That's why we were taught to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray when he said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know it. What does it say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On, as it is where? You don't, you see, you prayed that for years in some old dead place and you just said it and you didn't even know what you were saying. You were literally decreeing what God has in his kingdom. Let it splash over. Into this life right now. There was a great opinion piece. I don't know what. It was sometime through the weekend. I think in the Post and Courier. You know one of the great. Denominational churches in our nation. That's rather notable in our area. I will not announce the name. But they're in this big debate here recently. And the debate is whether or not. They're going to really adhere to the word of God or not. In fact, the question they're facing is whether they ought to ordain uh, and, uh, and or uh, marry homosexual people. And so they've been debating this whole thing. And God's word is so clear on it, it just, it just boggles the mind that, that there would even be anyone debating these subjects if you, the word is your foundation. But this op-ed piece in the paper was interesting because the guy that wrote it, I will oftentimes read, and he's just this... He's just this writer. I think he has a background in this particular denomination. And as he's writing, he's writing it from a perspective. Get this now. This isn't even, you know, you would expect this from me. But as he's writing this, he, he began to just point out several things. He said, there's no longer any difference between us and the Peace Corps. Or us and the Kiwanis Club. Or us and the Civic Organization. And this writer asked... And I think he was from the New York Times. I mean, the Times of all places. The writer asked, why go if we already have those things and all they want you to do is read an old book that they don't believe anyway? You see, what distinguishes us from any other organization is the fact that we believe not only what the book says, but that God can do what it says He can do. That he can break in right now as pastors preaching and teaching that right now bodies can start healing right where you're seated right now in the name of Jesus. 
that right now when you walk out the door, that your phone will ring when you get home this afternoon and the miracle that you needed, the breakthrough that you needed will all of a sudden come to you because the house of God puts you in an atmosphere where miracles can happen. Woo! We're having church today! Now the question is, how do you unlock all this? Man, that's good stuff, Pastor, but how do you unlock this stuff? Well, we can believe that all of these things are true and probably more than this. But they are all theory unless we know how to open that portal. Now I mentioned that I believe these verses are a prophetic picture of what the church should be all about. It's interesting to me that after the dream... Jacob renames the place which was originally named Luz and he changes it to Bethel. Luz to Bethel. Now this is very important because as I mentioned, names in the Hebrew mentality, names were exceedingly important. Names were really a decree over the person and their life and their future. That's why, for instance, Joshua, which which in the, in the Greek, it, it turns into Jesus. Literally, it means salvation of the people. I mean, I, I mean, that's a name that had prophetic importance. And I could take you through all the different names. You know, Simon meant uh, uh, little stone, but, but Peter meant rock. And uh, so, so names were significant. So Luz was the name of this place, and it turned into Bethel. Now, I put on the screen overhead, Bethel literally means the house of God means the house of God. In fact, there are a lot of different churches that are out there. They're named Bethel, you know, Bethel Baptist or Bethel, you know, this or Bethel that. I mean, it's just Bethel is the house of the Lord and it means the house of the Lord. But it's interesting that the word luz, throw it on the screen, the word luz means this. It means to turn aside, to depart. And if you follow its etymology, it even goes to be perverse. Now, understand, it doesn't necessarily mean perverted it just means to be, it, that's more like crooked, to be crooked. Also, I followed the etymology a little farther, and it, it, it has its, no pun intended, it had its roots in, in uh, an almond tree. I thought that was interesting. So, luz could mean to be a nut. So, I just thought that was a side note that you might find interesting. Now, now, Luz, think about this. this. This is a sense of crooked or devious. It's, now, again, it's not, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about something perverted or, or off the chart. But the sense of what we're getting here is that, is that Luz was a place where you would trust in one's own self. It represents the flesh. In the sense of really man doing what the arm of man can do. He's turned aside from following God's ways. He's departed from the ways of the Lord. His path has become crooked. I don't know, it might be trendy, but it's still crooked. It might be contemporary, but it's still crooked. And I want to say this gently and pastorally and lovingly, but also truthfully, that our current church age should be called the age of Luz. Because the gates of heaven close over the house of Luz. And we are doing church in the arm of the flesh and not in the power of the Spirit. And it's time that we arose. 
It's amazing how God is patient and loving and kind. And he just, he just patiently awaits us. But you're hearing his voice this morning saying it is time to arise. And begin to get serious about unlocking the gates to the presence of God. We've got, we've got people all over America, churches all over America. I'm telling you, we've got church going on, but we're not influencing anything. And we've got to get those portals open so the nations can come. That's our inheritance. He's given us the nations as an inheritance, but we'll never get them without His presence. So I'm sure there are numerous things that I can tell you. I'm going to give you four super fast and we're done this morning. Number one, unlocking the gate. It starts by getting revelation. We have to be awakened to the critical place of the house of the Lord, the church. Jacob got a revelation. He had to have a wake-up call where he began to understand that the house of God was an awesome, incredible place. And, he, and you know what's funny? He, he, when it all happened, he said, this is awesome. I didn't even know it. Do you understand and how sad this is to know that there are people that will leave church today and they don't even know how awesome it's supposed to be? They don't know. Because they don't have a revelation of that. A world is full of Jacob's who see the church as nothing more than relics that need to be replaced by a tax-paying business so we can get the tax basis right again in the earth. Let me tell you, you're going to have a lot more problems than your tax base without the house of the Lord. I mean, we're the portal to every resource you need. You put up with us, you just don't know you need us. We get this, hey, 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 yeah, yeah, you're one of those Christians, you're one of those believers. And then they'll roll their eyes. You ding dong. It's only because I'm full of love. That I don't look at you and call you that. Because the only reason you can roll your eyes and do all that sneering is because of the grace of God which is encompassing this earth. You need me. You may not like me, but you need me. You got to get a revelation of this, man. We are it. Now, I'm not saying we're all that, but I'm saying we are it. I know we ain't much, but we're still it. I understand you feel like Jacob. God sees you as Israel. He's changing you. He's transforming you from glory, remember, to glory. From faith to faith. He'll work with people that are pursuing. But we got to get a revelation. The light's got to come on. Number two, intercession. And I know I'm just beating some drums that I've been beating, but, but prayer turns the brassy heavens, the closed portals. Prayer turns these closed windows into open windows. Almost without exception, every time the gates were opened on a place in Scripture you could make the case for intercession. Pentecost being the prime example. They gathered, they prayed, they stayed, they waited, they tarried, and God showed up. Number three, declaration. This really fascinated me. There's a couple of important verses. Go with me here real fast. And we're coming to an end. So if I've worn you out and you're ready for church to end, then hang on. I'm coming to my landing. Psalm 24. 
Listen to this. It says, The earth is the Lord's in all, the, all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. He has founded it upon the seas, established it upon the waters. Then the question comes up, verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean, heart, clean hands excuse me, and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now, is it not interesting what he says in verse 6? This is Jacob. I thought that interesting. He didn't say this is Israel. He said, this is Jacob. I don't know about you, but that sure helps me. It helps me to know that, that he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for pursuit. See? Now, that's not excusing. Hear me. We're not excusing your imperfection. In fact, we would look at you and say, let's find a way to get it right. Let's find a way that you can begin to get God in this area so this can get right. So we're not excusing low living. But what I'm saying is this, is that we've got to understand that while we may not feel all the time perfect, God is saying to us, there are some things you can do in order to ascend under the hill of the Lord. That's what he's saying here. But then he ends with this in verse 7. It just says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Now, I've read that and it's a wonderful ending to that particular psalm. And it kind of asks, or, or it just sparks the question, what does it mean? Was it just a fancy ending? And I've come to the conclusion it means this. That there's, there's a place that you and I have got to arise to and we begin to decree or we begin to declare certain things that will begin to move heaven's gates. I'm going to go back to faith teaching 101. Faith teaching 101 says this, that your tongue is the spiritual mechanism in your human body that releases spiritual things. If you want something to happen spiritually in your life, you've got to get a hold of the fact that it's going to come from your confession or from your tongue. Now, it's just simple. Again, I'm going to say, how did you get saved? You wanted salvation in your life, and so you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Romans road there says, Romans 10, you shall be saved. Hear me now, if you want spiritual things to happen, if you want to access spiritual things, it doesn't happen uh, by just, just uh, thinking it or imagining it, but somewhere you've got to begin to speak it and say it. And God's waiting for his people to begin to decree, lift up your head, O ye gates. Open up, you ancient doors, and let the King of glory come in. You can want it, but are you willing to say it and decree it? Now listen to this, and, and, and we could go on, but in Ephesians 3, verse 10, listen to what he says here. It says, in Ephesians three ten, it says, to the intent that now the manifold or various, various, many-sided wisdom of God that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by whom? Everyone say the church. 
So there's something, the wisdom of God is going to be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So there are some things, folks, listen to me, that we're going to have to learn to decree as a body and decree as a church. It's called, I believe, the power of decree. There are things we need to decree. It's interesting that there were at least two times and maybe more that Jesus himself in Scripture, you remember when he was preparing for his triumphal entry and he was about ready to go through the gates of the city? And you remember what happens before he gets to the gates and goes in? He says these words. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You, you of all people who stoned the prophets would not, would not know the day of your visitation. And he begins to declare prophetically what will happen to the city of Jerusalem. Who do you think he was talking to? He was speaking. He was speaking literally over his city. He was decreeing things over his city. He said the same thing to Chorazin and Sidon. Remember when he said, woe to you Chorazin, woe to you Sidon. For it would have been better. And he goes on and he begins to decree some things. You need to understand it's the church. We are, we are the body of Christ. And we have been invested as a body with power. We have been invested as a body Not just individually, but even corporately. We've been invested with authority to begin to decree some things. We can begin to decree revival over our city and our region. We can begin to decree open heavens. You say, well, does God have to instantly respond to it? No, I'm quite sure he won't instantly respond to it because most of us would probably just start shooting our mouth off and we wouldn't pursue him and be passionate about him and still do the things that we need to do in order to ascend unto the hill of the Lord. But we need to start with decrees. There's power in corporate decree. You know, sometimes I'll just have you say things out loud together like everyone say, wow. Wow. See, now I know that's just... You're going, why does he do that? I don't even like that. All right. Some people think that's just communication style. It probably helps keep your attention. But you understand that together we just put the wow into the walls. We just decreed wow into this place together. Are you you following me? So far as I know, this is an original statement for me. That behind, listen to this, that behind every dead thing, behind every dead thing, there was once life. Now, now keep that phrase, and now you'll understand where I'm going. I grew up, I grew up in a very mainline, ordinary, everyday, denominational church. I mean, you had to drag me out of bed to get me to go. It was like, oh, God, i got to go to church today. <laughs> yes, oh, God, you're going to church today. So, And I remember one of the things we did, and some of you will recognize this because you grew up in churches maybe like this, that, that we, did, we didn't have prayer books or things like that. And some of you that maybe have Catholic or Episcopalian backgrounds, you know, you, you know that form. But in the church I was a part of, we were given a bulletin every Sunday. We had this bulletin. And in the bulletin, there was what was called a responsive reading. Anybody ever remember that? 
know what I hated about the responsive reading? Is that everybody is just stumbling over each other. I mean, half this side saying, the, you know, three words faster and this one slower. And it just, they're just butching the responsive reading. And I, it never made sense to me. And I don't even, I don't ever recall being taught why we were even supposed to do it. I don't even know that they know why they're supposed to do it. I think they do it because that's just what we've been doing. So it became tradition. But this is what I believe. I believe somewhere in all of that development, it, it certainly has become a dead thing, but behind every dead thing there was once life. And I believe that is a, a dead tradition now, but I believe the point of it was originally to be that the church together as a body was to decree some things into the spiritual atmosphere. According to Ephesians 3.10, we can begin to declare some things, the word of God, the wisdom of God, we begin to declare these things. And out of that declaration, just as you would make a faith declaration personally, God begins to move upon that confession or upon that declaration. Listen to me, if we want God to move, then we're going to be doing this more. Everyone say, wow. wow. See, I know it's not King James. Let's do it this way. Say, wow if. There, now for those of you that have a more traditional background, you'll feel better about that. And then finally, number four, we're going to end here. Celebration. How do you open up these gates? Celebration. Always remember this, Psalm 100, verse 4. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with... And into his courts with... Be thankful to him and bless his name. How did the Lord come through the gates of the city of Jerusalem? They, they were praising their brains out. They were, they were waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna to the son of David. There was radical celebration. There was such radical celebration. Get this, that the religious leaders were trying to get Jesus' attention and saying, would you tell him to cool it? Now, you need to get a hold of this. There was such radical celebration that there were people watching on the sidelines going, is this really necessary? The answer is yes. You remember, you remember David's wife, her name was, her name was Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L. She was the daughter of Saul. You remember when he brought the ark of the Lord home, he danced his way out of his, out of his toga and he got down to his ephod. Ephod in the Hebrew means fruit of the loom. That's what it means. Ephod equals fruit of the loom. He was down to his boxers. I don't know if he, I don't know what, we won't even go there. He just was down, he was down, there ain't nothing left. That's all we know. That's what he was down to. And she's, she's in this, she is blocking, she's in the window, the Bible tells us. She's blocking the window and saying, oh my, has, has the king distinguished himself today? Do you understand? When you, when you get that spirit on you, you're blocking the window. 
Oh, has the king distinguished himself today? You know what David said? I kind of laugh. David looked and he says, yes, and I will distinguish myself even more. Whoa, we're going to have church in our backyard. I'm just interpreting the original language to you right now. The Bible says in Psalm 22, verse 3, that we literally establish the throne of God. The Bible says that the, that the throne of God is established on the praises of Israel. So if we, as a people, can learn and commit to unlocking the gates of heaven. Oh my goodness. What could God do? Isaiah 60 verse 11. Isaiah 60 and this is it. I promise you this is it. Well, no, I take that back. I don't want to lie to you. It may not be. Listen to this. Isaiah 60 verse 11. You know this is arise, shine for the light has come. And though there be darkness, yea, even gross darkness over the earth. You know, that's the passage where there's this light out of gross darkness. Can we just agree? There's gross darkness in the earth. And it needs a light. And it talks about the kings and the princes coming to the brightness of your rising. And I believe, I believe it's a dual track deal. I believe it has some to do with Israel, but I, ha- I think it has a lot to do with the church. And in verse 11, this is what it says. This is what got me excited. It says, therefore, your gates shall be open continually. Ooh. They shall not be shut by day or night that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles. Hallelujah. The church is going to be built. The kings in procession for the nation and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish and those nations shall be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you. Cypress, pine, box tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary. I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you. How many of you know some of you got some folks that felt like their call in life was to afflict you. They felt called of God to be the devil's advocate. Whenever someone comes to me and says, can I just be the devil's advocate? I always say to them, I don't need an advocate for the devil. He talks enough. We don't need another advocate here. But it says, the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you, and all those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet, and they shall call you the city of the Lord Zion, the Holy One of Israel. And listen to me now. So the question is not, and it has never been, will God find a people who will do this? But the question is, will we be the people who do it? Because he will find one. I'll never forget, I heard this story years ago. It was in the latter 19th century. It was in the 1800s. And the Methodist church was holding its yearly assembly. And there was a leader that stood up at this denominational assembly and began to just give his vision. Now remember, this is in the 1890s. Began to give his vision for the church and for society. And, And in the middle of his exhortation... He even said, he just was full of faith, and he said, and I believe that someday, someday men will fly from place to place to spread the gospel. And when the delegates heard him say fly from place to place, it just was too crazy to believe. And one of the bishops that were there, Bishop Wright, stood up in angry protest and said out loud, he said, heresy, 
Heresy. Flight is reserved for angels. Clearly, if God intended for man to fly, He would have... There you go. He was unable to envision what the speaker had said out loud. And after he had gone through his his protest, and he said all that he was going to say about how ridiculous this man's vision was, Bishop Wright picked up his two boys, Orville and Wilbur. And he marched his way out of that assembly. That's a true story. The question isn't will God, the question is will we? Will we open the gates? See, we've just been setting stones in place for next Sunday. We're going to have church next Sunday. We aren't done having church today yet. What has happened to me, honey? I'm just... I got that. We're going to have church move on me. Hallelujah. Are you ready to have some church? Come on, stand with me, will you? Come on, put your hands together. Let's begin to celebrate. Come on, everybody, put your hands together. Put your hands together. Come on, let's begin to bless the Lord. Enter, enter His gates with thanksgiving. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Come into His courts with praise. Hallelujah. 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 Everyone say, wow. Yeah, man. There's a spirit of wow has come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just join with me right now. Let's just make, let's do our own form of responsive reading this morning. How about that? Would you just... Trust me for a minute and just step into this and let's begin to make some declarations together. Everyone say, in the name of Jesus, we decree as the body, gates open, ancient doors open wide. Let the King of glory come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. We declare over our city, heavens open. Spirit, outpour yourself. Touch this region. Be loosed. Be free. Upon our confession. May you use it as a conduit to do your kingdom work in our area. We believe it. We've decreed it. And we've declared it so in Jesus' name. Come on now, say so be it and amen. Come on, say wow. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Wow. Celebrate just a little bit. Come on, we come into His gates with thanksgiving and in courts with praise. We're unlocking some things. Come on now. Everybody put your hands together. Come on, we're going to celebrate before we go today. Let's do it.
find a word and a phrase that I that I might come to know you more to see the guide with every single step I take every day I will go out into the world and day it's you right now you see doors are moving I understand you're saying what's this what's all this hey listen all this all this is unlocking there are a lot of things we do by faith we praise God by faith the Bible says in everything in everything give thanks how can you do that because you do it by faith we walk not by sight we walk by faith And let me tell you something, when the children of Israel 
walked around six times silent around Jericho and then shouted their lungs out that seventh time and the walls came down. What did, what did all that have to do with anything? Well, it unlocked something. And you've got to begin to see that we're unlocking some things. I, I don't disagree with, with being benevolent and helpful and all the things that we do as the church. There's a place for practical ministry. Don't misunderstand, but I'm telling you, that is not going to rattle an area, a state, or a nation. There is a spirit that is over this nation that has to be broken. And the only thing that can do that is the very presence of God. And it's, and it's incumbent upon His people to unlock, to unlock the gates. Let's just begin to worship now. I'm coming your way. 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 Well, this is the moment. You want to have church? This is your moment. I'm coming your way, I'm coming your way, with all of my breath, with this heart in my chest, every word. 